This episode is sponsored by Law CPD, Australia's premium supplier of online continued legal education. Law CPD's professional development courses are all offered online, which means you can complete them anywhere at any time. And they are kindly offering Juggle listeners a discount of $25 off the next course they buy with Law CPD between now and until the 31st of October 2019. All you have to do is use the discount code JUGGLE25, all caps lock, at the checkout. They have a huge range of courses and they're not just for lawyers, so don't be scared off from that. The topics include working effectively with email, dealing with difficult people, leadership sins, and a whole bunch of others. I've used Law CPD for years to help me keep up with my CPD obligations, and I especially love that they can be completed online. As much as it's nice to get out of the office now and then to meet people when you're doing your CPD, sometimes we just need to get those points done, especially those ethics points, (laughs) and often they're left till last minute. So don't do that. Do them now. Do them online. Do them from anywhere at any time. I did one course this year when Harry was a newborn. I was one point down and I was coming up to the end of March deadline and I could just log on. I think I did it late at night. It was brilliant. So juggle 25 for your $25 off at lawcpd.com.au. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Lucy Dickens. Oh, Lucy's going first, and it's also (laughs) Joel Lulovich. I always take you by surprise. (laughs) I say always. I think I've done it like never, once, twice, maybe. Anyway, hello, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening and tuning in with us again today. It's going to be a fun conversation, I think, because both of us are having issues with our laptops, which means we can't see each other while we record this. So if you didn't know before, we record all of these interviews between just us and with our guests all over the internet. So we're never actually physically present together recording. The only time we've ever done that was when we both guested on the Happy Lawyer podcast, which was quite fun actually being in the same room. So one of these days we might invest in a bit of other recording equipment and do something different. But for now, we're sticking with over the internet. Yeah. We also live two and a half hours apart from each other. So that would be be lots of travel. So we're over the internet. We can't see each other. We're probably going to cut each other off and do all sorts of fun (laughs) things, but that's okay. We thought we'll just tell you what's going on. so So you know. Yeah. We've got a fun one today, we think. Actually, we've got a fun two ones coming up because we are doing a two-part series about why we hate flexible work because much as we're big advocates for it, there are some problems with it too and it's what stops people from doing flexible work, not just employees but also employers. It's kind of a bit of a clickbait title though, really, isn't it? Because although we say why we hate flexible work, I'm just being honest, why we hate flexible work, what we're really going to do is tell you what we can do about it. So how we can address the problems that people perceive or that they have with flexible working. Yeah, well, you know what? We're all into giving people solutions. So I think if we didn't do solutions, people would be surprised. (laughs) Very true. This was all prompted because of a conversation that was started in our Facebook group, The Juggle Community. One woman posted a story about how she was, I think, in the kitchen in her workplace and overheard a couple of other women talking negatively about part-time workers 
and saying that they find it really annoying because they get left to pick up all the slack. And it generated quite a lot of discussion about perceptions of part-time and flexible workers and whether this kind of commentary is fair or not fair. So we thought we'd better talk about the fact that there's a lot of employers out there who do hate flexible work. They dread the day that someone is going to walk in with a written application asking for a flexible work arrangement. And it's up to us and all of you to help these employers understand that part-time and flexible work has huge benefits for an organisation. And it's just about changing your perspective and your mindset around it. Through our business managing the juggle, we have done quite a bit of consulting for different employers, particularly around flexible work and helping them to implement it in their workplaces. So through that, and also through Jo's experience, if you didn't know, she is an employment lawyer. We have spoken to lots of employers and we've got quite a good idea about the kind of concerns that they have with flexible work and we've grouped them into some common themes. So the issues that we're raising today are not things that we've just kind of plucked out of the air or that we think employers are worried about. These are things that we have had real conversations with real employers and real managers and they've shared their concerns and we've helped to alleviate them. So these are all coming from practical real life scenarios. Absolutely. Before we launch into the three things, I will remind you that I did say this is a two-part series and not next week, but the week after, we will release a second part to this. And that's going to be looking at all of this from the perspective of you, the individual, and why we, us women, we hate flexible work too, not just our employers and what we can do about it. So getting back to the employers, the first reason why so many employers hate flexible work is because they think that flexible worker, fl- flexible working arrangements mean that the workers are inaccessible. So the kinds of things we hear here are, let's go with me, I'll be a bad person for the day. So Lucy's <laughs> working from home, that means we can't get her, her phone rings, she doesn't answer it, she's not at her desk when I email her. How do I, Or if she doesn't have set working days, it will be, how do I know when I can get hold of Lucy? What are the other reasons why I'm inaccessible, Jo? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sometimes it's a case of, oh, she's having a working from home today day, so you know we can't call her because she's concentrating on stuff. Mm. or it might be that they're inaccessible and the the client has sent an email and they they haven't responded and now the client is ringing me up saying, why haven't they got back to the particular client? Mm. And, you know, the other individual at the workplace, the boss or whoever it might be who's handling that is thinking, oh, my gosh, they're just at at home working today or they're working off-site or wherever it is and we can't get hold of them. They haven't answered this client and now this client's really upset with us. I think what you mentioned there hits the nail on the head in terms of identifying the real problem here when we're talking about people being inaccessible. And that is one about managing expectations. Mm -hmm. There's a concern that if we can't get hold or if a client can't get hold of Lucy the second they want to phone her, (laughs) then we're going to be letting someone down. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the stories that was told to us at one of our facilitated workshops was the man who put up his hand and said, look, If you are not in your office or able to answer your phone when the client rings, you're going to lose the piece of work. You know, if you Mm -hmm. aren't there to answer your phone, they're just going to say, oh, well, and they're going to move to the next person on their list, which will be some other Mm -hmm. um, law firm or accounting practice or architect or engineer or whatever kind of profession it is that you're in. If you don't answer the phone, they're going to move down to the next firm on the list. At the time I heard that, I just 
I was a little bit shocked, really, that that perception still exists. The second thought I had was if you're that unsure about how your clients feel about you and how much they value your particular services, then maybe you're doing something wrong in your business. (laughs) It was really interesting because the two things for me were, number one, just because you think that way doesn't mean everybody else does. Yeah. And number two, and I actually called him out on this, is I said, well, do you answer the phone every time it rings? I think the answer might have been yes. But then dig a little (laughs) deeper. Nobody answers the phone every time it rings. What if you're in a meeting? What if you're at the coffee machine? What if you're with another client? Are you just going to ditch that client to go and answer the phone to speak to this prospective client? So that's the key for me. Nobody is ever accessible every second of every day and nor should they be. But that point works for me. Whenever I bring that up, if someone's suggesting that some that by, by working flexibly, we're not accessible, I always bring it back to them. Well, how accessible are you? Are you available every time the phone rings? Should you be available every time the phone rings? Is it a good use of your time to be accessible the second that anybody wants you every single time. Yeah, like don't have your email constantly pinging on your screen because that's distracting you. Don't answer the telephone whenever it rings because that's distracting you from your task. Have hour of power or focus time or whatever it is that you want to have and then handle the interruptions at a time that suits you rather than when at a time that it suits the person who's making the call. There was also a lot of discussion in a group I was in recently about the idea of should you just phone people out of the blue? Or should you always sort of send them a message to say that I'd like to talk to you about X, can we schedule a time? I thought that was really interesting. And there was proponents for both. I like a bit of a casual pick the phone up every now and then, but I also think that where it's a you know pretty important kind of topic that scheduling a time in to have that conversation can be useful as well. But getting back to what we're talking about and flexible workers being inaccessible, I totally agree with you. You're inaccessible when you're at the workplace. It's just this perception that because you're not physically present in the office building or not physically present in the office building that day, even if you are out for a meeting, that you're less accessible than others. Yeah, or for specific hours if we're talking about flexible arrangements as opposed to working from home or whatever it might be. The other thing to consider in relation to accessibility is how we're going to communicate with each other. So if working flexibly means not working from the office or or working outside of the office for some portion of the working week, then the question is how are we going to communicate? So we know this, we've all heard this before, use technology. There are so many things available now that make it easy to communicate. We've got (laughs) Skype, Trello, Slack, Facebook for Business now, there's Microsoft Teams. The other thing to think about is the fact that when we're talking about flexible workers, we're not just talking about flexible workers who are working outside the office. We're also talking about some who perhaps aren't working on particular days of the week. There might be, for example, a a three-day-a-week arrangement. So then the question is, well, what happens on the days that they're technically not working? Who answers their emails? Who answers their calls? Do they have an out-of-office on or is it something that you don't want to tell the clients that your, you know, flexible work is not available on that particular day? And again, that really gets back to what you said at the beginning about managing expectations, the idea that you need to have conversations with your employer. Are you contactable on your technical day off? Is there a particular client that you want to give your mobile telephone number to? How are you going to handle that perception that you're not available? And with your clients too, the strategy that I use 
is that every time I speak to a client, I will tell them when they will hear from me next. So if I'm on the phone and they've given me some instructions that I'm going to action something and get it back to them, I will say before I go, I'll say, well, I'll send this to you by email within the next week or so. Actually, I'll be more specific. I'll say I will get it to you by Friday. But if I say I'm going to get it to them by Friday, I'm probably planning to have done it by Wednesday. I like to allow myself a little bit of a buffer. But what that does is it means they know when they're going to hear from you next. They don't feel like they need to be chasing you. And I always give myself extra time so that I then deliver early and they think I'm really impressive. But really, I've just managed my time well and managed their <laughs> expectations. That whole idea around, you know, people don't like part-time workers because they want to know that whatever day of the week they pick up the phone or send an email, they're going to get a response back. It's not true. Okay. Yeah. There are some people who are like that, but I tend to find in the majority of cases, as you just described, if you tell a client how it is that you work and when they're going to get the result that they're looking for, most of the time they're okay with it. And if it's a case that they want to be able to pick up the phone for a random query, you just need to tell them who to call instead of you or not necessarily who they should call instead, but tell them to call you. If you don't answer the phone, they'll be directed to someone else who can assist them and tell them who that's going to be. Yeah. Oh, and another thing is teaching people to leave a message because yeah. people don't leave voicemails. And I have had a couple of times in the past where clients have said, I've tried to call you yesterday. I couldn't get you. And I said, well, you didn't leave me a message. So I, I didn't know that you'd called. If you leave me a mm. message, I will get back to you within one business day, two business days, whatever your time frame is, or as soon as I can, whatever it might be. But if you don't leave me a message, I don't you're trying to get me which is obvious right that if you don't leave me a message I don't know you're trying to get me but people don't do that so it's about it's training them and helping to manage their expectations absolutely so flexible workers are inaccessible but there's lots of little strategies there that you can use to combat that whether that's making yourself more available or managing expectations let's move to number two loss of control over employees so the concern that if people aren't in the office or if they're working when it suits them they're not going to get the job done. They're just going to focus on whatever they want to be doing for themselves. Yeah, because, you know, when we're at home, we'd much rather be doing our dishes or washing our laundry or... I love the sarcasm. Would you not? Would you not enjoy <laughs> doing your dishes and your laundry? Not really. Mm. Well, our response to this is always the same, isn't it? How do you know they're working when they're in the office? Just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they're not working. Or just because you can see oh. them doesn't mean that they are. Well, don't all employers stand over their employees and watch exactly what employers do? They don't have the time to do that. And also, who's going to want to work in an environment where that's how people are supervised? Probably no one. So the solution here is that you need to work out what it is that's actually your problem. You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And if, if you're trying to achieve a result, then you just measure the employee on whether or not they're achieving the result. And if they do that, if they happen to do that while they're also folding the laundry and cooking dinner, then isn't that a win for everyone? <laughs> well, that brings up another possible problem for some employers. Maybe it's not a win for everyone <laughs> if you're a Mrs. Joe Alilovich employment lawyer. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> it's great for the worker. Yep. And I um, must admit that there have been times when I've been on the telephone talking to a client doing something like folding washing, a mindless task. But the thing for employers and the concerns you know, that, that can arise is that where you let employees work from other than the office environment, you don't have control over the environment that they're in. So 
if they're working from home or if they're working at a cafe or something like that, you don't have any knowledge of the safety necessarily of that environment. And if someone's working at home, then they're still covered by things like workers' compensation insurance. And there have been claims that employees have brought from having accidents at home while they've been working. Yeah, fair enough. So it's about agreeing, isn't it? What's okay, what's not okay, where you can work And also you mentioned before what time, time of the day. Yeah, there's a couple of things. If you are an employer who's got employees working from home, you might like to think about having an assessment of their home workspace, everything from making sure that they've actually got a designated desk to work at to making sure that they have an ergonomic chair and that kind of thing. You can do that. You've obviously just got to let your employee know that you've got the right to come into their home and assess it and make sure that it's safe for them to work. And I think that if you explain that to an employee, then more than likely they're going to understand and they'll be okay with it. And then it's about having an agreement, as you said, about the time of day, because the last thing you want is people working at midnight because they've had a a whole day of I don't know, looking after kids or doing a second job and then they're trying to do the work for you at a time that they're not actually mentally their best. Yeah. Okay, so number three, flexible working arrangements are inflexible. This is my favourite concern that has been raised about flexible working because it just doesn't quite sound right, does it, to say flexible (laughs) working is not flexible? Well, I think the impression here is that Flexible working arrangements are really flexible for the employees, but they're totally inflexible and unhelpful for the employers. Yes, that's the concern they have. But that's not the case. Flexible working is by its very nature flexible. It does need give and take from both parties. And it's not the case that an employee working flexibly is just take, take, take. If something's not working, then it needs to be addressed and there needs to be a conversation. Things need to change. Yeah, I think the idea as well is that people think that once they sign on the dotted line with a change in working arrangements that they're stuck with it, whereas what we tend to find and what we tend to encourage people to do is talk about all the different possible options that someone might enter into and also then think about, okay, well, which one do we start with and how long are we going to trial it for? Because you never really know until you give it a go. I do this with my work. My flexible working arrangements change quite often, I'd say. I have set days where I'm in the office at the moment, but those have changed again since I've gone back to work. And then I also have certain work that I do from home. And again, that also changes. There was a time where I was always available on a Monday. Monday would be my work from home day. And then that changed for various reasons. And now I don't have a set working from home day. I just do the work in the time that I can make available for it. But each time those things have changed, that's involved me going back to my employer and having a conversation around what it is that they need me to achieve and what it is that I need to adjust and working out how we can find the middle ground. Yeah, and that's the perfect example of a flexible arrangement, the fact that you've considered not only what you want and what's going to suit your life and your family, but also you've considered what is going to work for the employer. Yeah, and it goes both ways as well. I mean, with my role, it doesn't usually matter what day of the week work is done, but every now and then something will come up on a day that I don't have childcare, like interviewing is a good example. That's something that we seem to do quite often. And I'm on the interview panel. So when that happens, obviously we have advanced notice. So 
I then organise myself to be available to come in on the extra days that they need me or to change things up. So it definitely does go both ways. Mm. And I think the key here for employers is to build the flexibility into the arrangement. So if you're Mm. worried about it, it is helpful to write up a flexible work arrangement. I know some people can manage these kinds of things on a oral basis, but I do encourage people to have at least the the key points in writing. And that would include things like, okay, we're going to actually have a sit down chat about it in three months time or in six months time or on a monthly basis, whatever it is that you feel most comfortable with, just to make sure that you're checking up on things and working out if it still fits for both people. So those are the three main reasons we know of why employers hate flexible working and some little tips there about what you can do about it. So maybe you need to encourage your employers to have a listen to this (laughs) (laughs) and give them a different perspective on flexible work. Or maybe you're an employer yourself and hopefully we haven't scared you off flexible work or perhaps we've encouraged you towards giving it a go. Absolutely, we've encouraged you (laughs) for sure. So don't forget two episodes from now, episode 87, so not next week, but the week after, we'll be talking about why we hate flexible work and what we can do about it. So we'll be having the same kind of conversations, but from an individual perspective. Before we go, don't forget that this episode has been sponsored by Law CPD, who are very kindly offering you all a discount of $25 off of the next course you buy with them from now until 31st of October 2019. Just use the discount code JUGGLE25 at the checkout. And if you'd like to come and have a chat to us about flexible work, then jump into the Juggle community on Facebook. You can find all the links to that and all of our other guides and pieces of information regarding flexible work on our website, which is www.thejuggle.com.au. See you next time. Happy juggling.